0: Welcome to Beyond Sunday, a new season of Better on the Inside. This is your host and digital pastor, John Pyle.
1: What's up, y'all? Welcome to Better on the Inside, Beyond Sunday edition. We're in our Beyond Sunday season, talking about what lies Beyond Sunday. And this time I have a really good friend, a dude that I legitimately love and know, Kyle Burkholder on the show, Kyle is man. I love this dude. He is so wise and really in a lot of ways, like brilliant, like truly brilliant. He's a great pastor, great communicator and just a good dude. And part of what we talk about is just what does going beyond Sunday look like in a local congregation? i met kyle here when in san antonio when we were here together we went to seminary i cover a little bit of that in the pod and we knew each other but he moved to ohio and he's a lead pastor at the church that he's at or just pastor as he would have us say um at the church that he's at there and and taking a real community approach and so uh, moving from a more mega church kind of environment to a much more almost parish kind of model of congregation I think Kyle has a lot to share that's really interesting around some of the concepts like community and relationship and humanity and imagination. And I just and I love any chance I get to talk to Kyle. And so this is a really good one to listen to. And Kyle is just a, a dude, man, just a great, brilliant, wonderful dude. And uh, we'll drop his links uh, are in the um show description, as well as we'll talk about him at the end, but he's definitely a dude that you're going to want to listen to and follow more. What's up, y'all? I am here with my dear friend, Kyle Burkholder. Kyle, how are you?
0: I'm so good. I have not seen you in real life or in digital life in forever, so this is it was just fun to see your face. It's been way too long, and Kyle and I have a lot of history. We
1: actually know each other in person, which is awesome. Uh, but we've spent, we went to seminary at the same time. We went to seminary together, dare I say. Yeah. We, we were in San Antonio together for a long time. And you are just a rad dude who I love keeping up with.
0: Trying to be a rad dude, man. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to, to join in your conversation. This is going to be fun.
1: And now you are, are you the lead pastor, senior pastor? What's your, how, do you, how are you doing the title? You're not a big title guy.
0: I'm, so I don't know how you remember. I'm not a big title guy. Yeah. So my title is pastor. Love it. No, no, no modifiers, no qualifiers, no nothing. We're just people ask. Well, aren't you the lead? And I go, nope. I'm the pastor, mm. and you know we're an elder led church. So I'm one of. We got elders, but we're all the same. So yeah. I go. Well, I'm not that special. Just call me Kyle.
1: Love it. Love it. Just just Kyle. Uh, that's it. That's wonderful. I remember a lot about you because you're a very unique person. You also were the one that described and I talked to Mike Shero about this a couple of weeks ago. You described me as a collector of puzzle pieces and okay. people, of like yes. you collect people like puzzle pieces and you find where they go. And I'm like, that's a really helpful metaphor. Thank you.
0: I mean have you got the puzzle finished yet is the question.
1: Oh no. Well, that's that's the eulogy you can give at my funeral of going the puzzle is now finished.
0: Got it. Got that's, it. No, I mean it's you yeah. it's been you forever. You're a you're a curator and a cultivator and all those things. So it's 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 fun to watch you work and then even seeing who you talk to is this interesting, you know, it's it's like I'm hunting a serial killer and I got the red thread on the wall but you start with <laughs> Start with John and you can get just about anywhere because there's no avenue or alley he hasn't walked down to meet who's down there. Oh, that's funny.
1: That's awesome, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> well, so there's a lot of things I could talk to you about. But one of the things that we've kind of been focusing on is this idea of kind of going beyond Sunday. And what does that look like of not just doing the hour, the hour is good, the hour is you know, part of what people tend to think of when they think of church but there's so much in the other 167 hours of fo- for followers of Jesus and becoming more like him. And one of the things as we were just talking before the show that you talked about is like the hyper local piece. And yeah. so I'd love for you to speak into how you've been focused on that.
0: Um, it's an interesting thing that I think we all subconsciously are attempting to do, but to put words to something makes it real. Um, so a few years ago, um, I looked at our community and I looked at what we're attempting to do. We were growing pretty quickly and the risk for us was we were going to lose what made us special, which is um, intimacy and relationship and all those things. And right around those times uh, was when COVID hits and then uh, there's, there's upheaval in our society, there's upheaval in our culture, and, and things start to get pretty squirrely, things start getting get more divisive, and... And our response to that was to put words to this thing we were kind of churning through in our hearts, which is let's let's be the hyper local church. Mm. And so my response to um, injustice a thousand miles away needs to be what does it look like to be a creator of justice next door? Mm. And it, it's not as satisfying in, a, in like a transcendent, Twitter, yeah. I'm look. I'm somebody, and look, I'm in all the circles. It's not as satisfying, but my my across the street neighbors, eighty three year old husband died, mm. and she's in her seventies, and her husband, you know. And so the neighbors start trying to figure out, well, how do we make sure she's covered and supported, and who's watching out for this? And so I find out there's nothing for me to do. This neighbor has her, and this neighbor has her, and this neighbor has her. But but that's the hyper local response to global injustice mm. because God put me God put me here and it it's not going to make the headlines I'm not going to become an influencer none of that stuff's happening and yet if that's how that works its way out in my life what does it look like to give that vision to everybody in our in our community to say your response to what you're feeling in the world or your response to to what you're seeing is to find the the hyper local expression of that and for so many of us it's like it's all news. It's You click on a news article, and it's everybody's anxious and stressed out because there's fires in Maui as we're recording mm. this, right? There's been these mm. fires. It's heartbreaking. It's sad. It's awful. Um seems like a just a dumpster fire. Yeah. What can I do about it? Mm. And as soon as I realize I'm helpless to do anything other than, oh, we can do a drive. I mean, but sure. with the way the world is, I'm watching other churches, and I'm trying to see, what are you guys doing? Or how are you responding? And there's just so many tragedies that, how many weeks can you do a special collection for these people a thousand miles away? Yeah, b- before you realize you're neglecting your own neighbor with s- simple little bits. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's a rambling, meandering answer because it it's a it doesn't have a there's no program there's no strategy. It's mm-hmm. what does it look like to be hyper local in your specific world?
1: Yeah, it embraces the complexity though, and uh, yeah. I think there's a part that you're addressing of. And it'll take me a little bit to get, you know, get around the the great horn here, get around my elbow to this. But it's the idea that sometimes being reactionary is good, but reactionary in a local context. And so when we're reactionary online, it's like, I got a hot take about this. I got a hot take about that. I got a hot take about this. And who is it helping? And to your point, like we can donate money to Maui, but to your, every week we'd be taking an offering for a tragedy somewhere right. else. And once you start doing that as somebody who sees it from the inside too, yeah. then people start going, Well, wh- why haven't you weighed in on this? Well, why haven't you weighed in on this? Well, why haven't you weighed in on this? Did you hear about the kids in the school shooting at X Place? And you go, Oh my God, there's just too much. Like, and yeah. then, then you have to set these weird bars of going did more than 10 people die did more and it's like what what?" it feels so inhuman and so there is something in us that wants to react and respond to tragedy and I think you're instead of and then I see some pastors kind of go the other way they're just like almost disconnect Mm -hmm. Uh, like almost like no don't 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 react to the culture don't get don't be don't be reactionary just let it sit and 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 there's some wisdom to allowing God to speak into things. But I think part of what you're talking about is just responding to what's happening in your local context, because there's enough, there's enough. There are people who are losing spouses and there are people who are losing jobs. And if you just drew a circle, a mile around your church, there's enough people to help.
0: Yeah. I mean, every, every time I'm on uh, a national, international website, I'm looking at news headlines. Um, my discipline, I've tried to I, – I don't, I don't get to click the headline. I can read the headline. I can't click it. Mm. It's almost too much to even know the headline, but to read it is to engage it at a deeper level. And to your point, if I go down the list right now, uh, we got this church member who's got a pretty big bout with cancer ongoing. We got this church member who literally um, fell out of a tree has a tree trimmer the other day and is like going into surgery tomorrow. And then we got this church member who's lost mm-hmm. their husband. This one is going through a divorce and this one's dealing with, and, and I start going through it and I'm like, I can spend my world, I can spend my whole life um, gathering information about things that are far off that I can't control, or I can spend my day turning that off and saying, what's the hyper local need in front of me? And so this week I was able to make two home visits, which sounds like the, just the is it 1936? Yeah. Like, what, what am I doing?
1: <laughs> you, you rode your wagon out there and you hitched up old Bessie. And
0: yeah, and and yet that will be the thing that makes the biggest difference in our community in those lives more than if I know a little bit more about some far off democracy failing or injustice happening or election thing. Um, I, had a, I had coffee cake and a cup of coffee with some church members in their 70s. Mm-hmm. And then I sat with a family who's going through a medical thing. And it was only a couple hours. But it was the most meaningful thing I could do. And so what if we all thought that way? And instead of watching Good Morning America to see what's popping right now in yeah. larger culture, what if I actually just started my day thinking about who in who in my little two-mile radius um, might have an impact on?
1: Yeah. Okay. So why don't we? Like, because... I'm like, I have theories about why, and I'm curious about what you think, but why don't, it seems like it would be the most natural thing to do that, but it feels unnatural. It's messy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Right. It's, yeah. I can, consumption is cleaner. So, so all the, the external stuff is consumption mm. and the, the local always requires something of me. Mm. Consumption doesn't require anything of me. I, I give myself to it. But it just—it's passive. I just can consume and consume and consume. And as soon as I have to think of our church members struggling with cancer, I have to go. What I can't practically do anything. But you know what? The ministry of presence is available. So I need to—I need to take a walk over there and take care of it. Um, we're also um, the digital world just represents our physical world. I'm convinced of this. And our physical world—most of us live in places that are big okay so I come from San Antonio with you I was in Johannesburg before that' um, big places with lots of people um and what we failed to realize and I didn't connect until I moved to this you know frozen swamp that I live in now <laughs> um I live in a town of thirty thousand eighteen thousand of whom are college students so I live in a little college town about 40 minutes from Toledo which is not exactly like um Manhattan right, right. so it's we got a few hundred thousand people up there but it's Really, I'm in a 30,000-person bubble. Mm. And on my side of Main Street, the college is on the other side, I'm really in a 10,000-person bubble. And once you get to that scale, you begin to realize that I can't go anywhere without seeing not just someone I know, but multiple people that I know and recognize. Well, John, you live in the same bubble. Your bubble just has a whole, like, 50,000 other bubbles around it of the same size. But you go to the same grocery store. You go to the same Mexican restaurant. Mm -hmm. And that scale helped me see that it's – I am hyperlocal whether I want to admit it or not. My my Mm choice is my life is that. But it takes – it took me out of the context of I'm one of 2 million and it put me in the context of I'm one of 10,000. And in that context, it's unavoidable that everybody knows everybody. And so when I hear that there's a need and I don't respond, that hits differently than there was a shooting on the west side. There was a shooting on the east side. There was a – and you're like, well, Okay. The abstractions fall away, and now it's personal. yeah, ooh. That
1: is a fire answer. That is a fantastic answer because the messiness is why, if you ask me, that that messiness is why consumer culture is a part of church culture. And so we've kind of set churches up to be houses of consumption of I sit, and that's part of the whole be on Sunday thing, right? I sit for an hour a week, maybe probably an hour every like third week, depending on your context. Right. And I receive what I need and then I go and whether it makes an impact or not is up to me. And there's this kind of consumptive quality of what we're thinking of. and, And I don't think we understand the depth to which it goes in our lives until we're confronted with something like this. And it's like, Ooh, that's real messy to get our hands on. When person X is struggling with you know whatever it might be we hear about a messy divorce we hear about a child that's sick. we hear about a school shooting that's local we hear about go go down the line uh, you know I was talking to somebody the other day whose grandson is was 16 and was involved in a murder and is being tried as an adult right like these are the messy things where you just go I don't know there's nothing to consume. The 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 only value is not in my consumption. You said presence, which is great, and in some ways, presence is kind of the opposite of consumption. In that, it's like the mid. It's like I'm just there. I'm not trying to take anything, and I might not be able to give anything except myself. I'm just there.
0: Mm. Mm. No, I mean it. It. What else do I have? Yeah, I can't cure. I can't cure the cancer. I can't solve the crime. I can't. I can simply be it's the ministry of presence and that requires proximity. So the thing we've lost in the digital world is proximity. Mm. The thing we lose in the it lose in the consumptive world is proximity. Yeah. So, so unless I'm in proximity, physical proximity to another person, I can't actually provide comfort, ministry of presence. None of those needs ever get met because I I can send you a note across the country, I can text you some encouragement, and it's like okay. Um, But it's different than in your time of need. Everybody's been through something. When we go through difficult things, that's the moment of truth. Mm. Um, How many people actually responded in real physical ways? So there's someone in my community group. Okay, we got these community groups. My community group had a baby, had a meal train, standard issue protocol. Mm -hmm. I took him a meal. At the end of it, she said, you know what? I don't want to complain because it was real nice that people were sweet to us. But first our meal train didn't fill up and second some of the people who signed up didn't bring a meal and Mm. so she goes i felt kind of neglected and i don't mean that as, as ungrateful and i said okay well this is somebody who's on our church staff well connected in the pastor's community group and she said i just didn't feel like we were really well loved yeah and and I thought that's a problem of proximity that's a problem of of we're not we're not hyper local enough mm. that we couldn't accomplish eight meals for the family with a new baby you know it was just yeah. like well what are you going to do um and you'll feel it in your own life i feel it in my life when something goes down you know how big your circle is like like that yeah and for most people the the sadness of our world for most people is when something goes down it gets real lonely
1: Oh, yeah. And I think the world experienced that. And I saw that through the church lens from the pandemic, because Mm -hmm. what defined your church completely changed. Because when the pandemic hit, and we all were in bubbles, so you talked about bubbles, you found out who was in your bubble very quickly. And for a lot of people, and it was heartbreaking to see how many people were alone. Not like not like, oh, I'm depressed and anxious alone. Like literally people who are like, I don't have anybody who can get groceries for me. Yeah. I can't leave the house. I, I'm immuno, I'm immunocompromised. like And all of a sudden church wasn't the content you consume. It was the community that cared for you. And that flip and the churches were the, I still think churches are the last people to get it of going there are all these people that are defining it completely differently because at the same time you had more church content to consume than ever everybody was putting everything online so you could have your 10 person local baptist church you could have your fifty thousand, you know church of the highlands you could have content from everybody and you had time because you were at home and you had it pouring in and yet all these people were just alone in the bubbles and they started to be like church is not where i get my content it's where i get my care and yeah that that is a game changer. It's just it's a game changer for how we define what we're doing and what the world
0: needs us to do. We've learned, right? You've learned in the last three years. The church has never been richer in content and poorer in contentment. Mm, we're on. the we're so poor in our in our contentment as human beings, in our communities, in our relationships, in our justice actions. Any of the things we're actually aiming for. Um, The reason that we're as agitated as we are as a culture is there's no contentment in life. We're these Mm. consumers with all the content in the world, and we're rich in content, and we're poor in contentment, and we haven't solved the problem that the contentment piece is relational. It's always relational. Jesus Jesus isn't an idea. Jesus wasn't a set of rules. Jesus Jesus was an embodied relational being, and the second we get our faith separated Mm. from embodied relational beings it doesn't connect anymore now it's an idea it's a mantra so that's that's the whole thing is is you you run back to the new testament and you just go what did it look like it looked like jesus in relational hyper local relational time with human beings doing life
1: well you can't find <laughs> you can't find contentment outside of investment of yourself and I think we've been trying, and I think so many senior pastor roles and lead pastor roles are, how can I have the most impact without giving any of myself? Mm-hmm. And how can I spread this impact and do the most and its efficiency and it's all mm-hmm. these things where contentment is something completely different? And we're trying to find contentment by consumption, but the whole mm-hmm. the whole point of consumption is that you're never content it builds in a thing where you have to have the next thing and you have Mm -hmm. to have the next thing. And whether it's a YouTube series or whether it's the stuff you buy of like, well, the iPhone 15 is coming. So I got my 13 sucks now. Like I got to get the new thing. Whereas like imagine us talking 20 years ago being like, dude, you're going to be able to surf the internet on your phone and download all the songs that you want. And it's going to be in your pocket. And I was talking about gigabytes with my kids and like floppy disks where you were saving paper, like you had three floppy disks for per mes- semester in college. and I mean like, oh, my papers are there. And now it's like, you have these tiny terabyte drives. Yeah. And, but the point of consumption is that you can never be content. And so we've been hiding, we hide ourselves. And that's really part of, as I'm reading the gospels now, that's part of the radical piece of Jesus is that he really didn't hide himself. And he really could have, like he really could have just done miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, and But he wasn't satisfied with that. And the people, and, and he even has that whole speech of like, they're coming because of what I'm doing for them. And, but it wasn't in a like mean or nasty sense. It's just like, that's how I can relate to the people. But what he really, like part of his ministry was what he did with the 12 and what he did close up with the Samaritan woman and the woman who's pouring perfume on his feet and the Pharisees and Zacchaeus and, all these close-up moments where he's risking something
0: yeah (sighs) yeah he well i mean when did jesus ever try to scale his ministry and i mean you want to you want to be the church you want to be the american church figuring out where are we going wrong show me where jesus said now we got to scale this guys Mm. how do we get wider reach and it just never and so so let's say something controversial so i was a former missionary in south africa for multiple years i was a missions pastor sending people all over the world through a southern baptist affiliated church missions aren't wrong global missions are fine missionaries are good the local church is so much better at sending people around the world and they are at sending people next door because it's it's so much less messy and it's a crime mm. we are so good at saying i'll sign up to go to guatemala i'll sign up to go to ghana i'll sign up to go to wherever and I'll take the gospel with me. Mm. Will you do it next door? Ah, that could be awkward though. And and the reason is because even the mission trip is a consumptive experience for us. I'm consuming an adventure and a life thing, and I get to check a ministry box in it, but it's not. It's not what we were designed for. And when Jesus said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost yeah. parts, the uttermost parts were like if you were in San Antonio, where you are, the uttermost parts was like maybe the Houston suburbs. Is as right. far as you could get. <laughs> Right. That was it. There, I mean, and I get that we've extrapolated, and the world's bigger, and we have access, and so there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But when we, um, when we make the choice to be these global ambassadors of, if I can get my content on YouTube and then it can get you know to the farthest reaches of the earth, then I'm I'm fulfilling the Great Commission in some way. And he's like, you yeah. know, I mean, make a disciple, and you're not making disciples ten thousand miles away. You're making them ten feet away, ten minutes away, you know, ten steps at a time. And yeah. I, we're just we're so confused because we're so afraid of the mess and we worship comfort more than we think. And it's, I sound like I'm down on it. It's so good when we click though, because then we go, wait a minute, what's the magic? So people come to our church and think, what is the magic? What is different here? Yeah. And I said, well, a bunch of hippies started a church 50 years ago and they're all still here and friends. Yeah. And so you're seeing that this is what a family looks like and it's super messy and we're going to let you down. But if you want in on it, we want you in on it. And people are like, oh. I mean, that's a different pitch. And I'm like, yeah, yeah here, here goes. Um, so I don't know. It, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just it's frustrating to see the church wobble around trying to make global impacts so when we can't reach the person next door with simple love. Not reach them, reach them, reach them yeah. with love and grace and mercy.
1: Yeah, man. That walk 10 steps to your neighbor as I sit in my like wildly suburban context. Like I'm looking like going to approach my neighbor is so much harder than going to Chihuahua, Mexico, where we have something, right? Or Liberia, like whatever that looks like. Uh, I have a little, I have a poem that I was looking up because it's a little line from a poem. And I don't know if you posted it or somebody else did, but Robert Hayden. uh, And I ended up buying the complete works because I just thought it was so interesting because you talked about abstraction. But it said, uh, we must go on struggling to be human, though monsters of abstraction police and threaten us. Wow. And the, the phrase monsters of and the whole the whole kind of bar of the poem, uh, we must not be frightened or cajoled into accepting evil as deliverance from evil. Reclaim and then the, we must go on struggling to be human, though monsters of abstraction police and threaten us. Reclaim now. Now renew the vision of a human world where godliness is possible. Hmm. And it's just this idea of humanity. We don't re- we can abstract, but we don't work well in abstract. And I love the phrase monsters of abstraction. Wow. Um, it, it just, it, hmm. it hits something. And I don't know why that whoever posted that quote, like I need to find the person that did it because it's unlocked a different spiritual thing within me of just this idea of monsters of abstraction that police and threaten us. And you, you've, it, when you hear those words, I think you could probably feel them. Like you, mm-hmm. ju- you feel those words of going these monsters of abstraction that are so big and it causes us to look up and miss looking across and miss looking into the lives that we can most help. And the people who in a lot of ways, sh- I don't even know if they should matter most, but they matter just as equally But we, well, okay, this is the, maybe this is the next point that I talk myself into. One of the reasons we don't like that is it's accepting that we are finite. And we don't have reach to do it. It, It's the powerless you talked about with Maui, Mm -hmm. right? It's Mm -hmm. the powerlessness we feel when we see a school shooting or Ukraine or any tragedy in our world, we feel powerless. And we try to feel powerful in engaging these big problems, but in realizing we're so limited, that we could, like, if I dedicated my life to thriving and flourishing on my block, I would fall short by the end of it. Because there's there's enough mess on this block that, like, you, you couldn't do enough. But that reminds me that I'm gonna die, and I'm not here to do everything, and I'm not God. I'm just this limited person that is messed up and messy and broken and flawed and will let you down. But I'm doing the best I can. And that is a hard reality to swallow.
0: Yeah. You're going to die. And you can't choose when. And nothing that you do. Uh, Matt Chandler once preached a sermon early 2000s. I, I heard it and it just knocked my socks off. And he he challenged everybody in his congregation to name to to what to to name their great grandfather's first name, mm. and it was like murmuring and then silence, that awkward, embarrassed silence of like, oh, well, I mean, we called him Peepaw, but um, yeah, right. D- did he have a first name? And you're like, that's a hundred years ago. That's not ten thousand years ago. You and he would he said so bluntly, he said you're going to get painted up like a clown and put in a box and buried. Mm. Because and people, your your children's children probably won't know your name, much less what you did, how much money you earned. They don't care, and they Mm. won't care, and your impact will not be in any of those things. And so the question is, what are you doing with your day today? What are you doing with your next door neighbor? What are you? And and that's a that's a wild challenge, because and that's I mean my life mantra is smaller, slower, less or lower. It's what I read in the Gospels that we our goal as human beings following Jesus is. Is to grow smaller in recognizing our relation to the infinite. I'm nobody. I'm a speck, and that's a beautiful God-ordained, beautifully created, wonderfully made. I'm it's it's holy, but I'm small, mm. and I got to get lower. I got to be in posture. I got to stop trying to grow bigger and more important. I got to get lower. Um, you know, fall at his feet as though dead when when encountering him in Revelation. Um, slower. I cannot meet my neighbor's need if I'm flying down the street 100 miles an hour. I don't even know their need. So I got to slow down, 2 miles an hour, walk the streets. I walk to work some days, not because it's easier convenient, but because that I pass 15 members' houses from my house to the church. I think of them. I see their house. I see them raking. I see them walking their kids to school and I get to pray for them and I'm I'm just back in the in the physical touch and the proximity. Yeah. And then I mean, what does it mean to be lesser, John? John in, in the message translation says, um, when he says, he must be greater, I must be lesser, is he says, I have to move off stage so Jesus can take the spotlight. Mm. And I love that that picture of like, anytime I'm doing the opposite, I really, I'm looking for me glory. Yeah. And it isn't until I go into the wings and I put the spotlight back on Jesus. And that's when life seems to click anyway, right? That's when people mm. get healed and, and people get ministered to and comforted and justice is served. It's when Jesus becomes central again. So- I mean, it's a it's going to take my whole life to get anywhere close to some of these ideals and I won't get there and I will be painted up like a clown in a box. And yet, there's something deeply comforting in knowing that I'm not here to save anything. Right? Um, I'm just a piece of a puzzle that's so much greater than I can imagine.
1: Ah, there's something freeing where yeah. it doesn't depend on you. Right. It doesn't rely on you and that's the freedom that, you know, Jesus was talking about of my burden is light like it's it's really not a burden at all like i I mean there's a part of it that's like it's a challenge that you know it'll cost us everything our whole life we take up our cross daily right but there's also a part that's like holy crap i don't have to do anything (laughs) like i i am loved as as i am right now and i there's Things that I can do, but I'm never going to get to the, uh, I'm never going to get a hundred on the test. I'm never going to, and, and the whole thing doesn't depend on me doing the right thing.
0: And there's something freeing about that. And how attractive is that? Like, I've never met somebody who wasn't attracted to that, that Matthew 11, Jesus Mm. statement of just like, man, I need that. Come all you who are weary and need rest. And, and he says, I'm gentle and lowly. Hmm we're attracted to gentle and lowly we're not we think we're attracted to, to celebrity of this the the harsh edges of the political spectrum to the shock jock podcaster who's got mm. billions of following now we think we're attracted to that we're titillated by it but we're it's it's not actual love attraction yeah. and and that's our whole culture has become we're we're addicted to titillation mm. and we're not actually chasing the the core attractions of our heart because what we're attracted to is gentle and lowly yeah we're attracted to the wise old sage to the you know that that person who pulls us in close we all want that father in our life who's gonna you know well done son everybody longs for that but lacking it because our world's broken it's okay lacking it we go to well, what will quickly satisfy my consumptive life it's like well i'll find the next most titillating thing yeah and then we're running to extremes because we need more and more to satisfy Mm -hmm. and when you get into the 167 of the beyond sunday life if you can become hyper local, none of those celebrities exist on my block.
1: <laughs>
0: there's nothing to chase yeah. locally.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I just got to go check on Mrs. Johnson and see if her cat got over his fungus, you know, whatever. Yeah, and like, totally. That's not exciting. That's not titillating. But the depth that starts getting built, you go, wait a minute, there's some sort of gentle and lowly love thing happening here. Yeah. Uh, and, and the Jesus thing starts to click in a way that it never clicked when we found our place amongst the millions or we look at this new engagement metric that we achieved or look at this new nobody cares yeah nobody cares
1: oh you hit on something because being a pastor i've been in situations where i've walked into it and it felt really pleasant but also gross and i was a little repulsed not because anything was wrong in the situation, but because sometimes we can do "ew" with like real feelings and connection and depth because it feels wrong because we're kind of in a culture of junk food, potato chips, and this Mm -hmm. is like vegetables. Mm -hmm. And it's like, ew, but, but then I'm like, no, this is actually what I'm longing for. I remember sitting in the house of two of our like core members, like two of the people who pretty much established a church and, they're getting on in their years and you know one of them use a wheelchair to get around and they you know there was some surgery stuff going on and and i was just sitting there and i'm like this is really pleasant but all of but all of the trappings fall off and so when that happens sometimes we could be kind of like i don't know if i want this like and we have that you reaction sometimes to authenticity we ha- Because we, we show up as ourselves and we're like, oh, everybody's naked, cover up. It's really Adam and Eve and we can be repulsed by that. And I think we've kind of consumed so much of this culture that that feeling might – so like some people listening to this might have experienced that where you walked into a situation where you were like, I feel like I like this, but for some reason I really want to get out and maybe I'm cringing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually what we go toward – not what we run away
0: from. Hmm. Hmm. I mean it's 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 actual honeymoon versus idealized honeymoon. Right. I mean, you 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 using naked is yeah. just it's it. It's why we want to consume sex in any way other than in real life, you know, the mm. generational like less sex than ever. Why? Because yeah. it's vulnerable, it's awkward. Yeah. And and if I can consume it with my myself protected and someone else digitized, that's easier. And you talk to any newlywed couple and they, they had these big ideas that are going to Cancun and it's going to just be a party. And you're like, how did it go? And they're like, it got pretty awkward. And then this, we kind of fumbled through some stuff and it, right. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all fireworks. Like I thought. And then you talk to that same couple of are 50 years together. They go, yeah, it got better as we went because we got more vulnerable and more intimate. And, and the nudity stopped being about the consumptive and it started to being about the, the, the collective. Ooh. And that's wild. But you ask people, we got these people in our church, 50, 60, you married. And they're like, yeah, it's better now. Like mm-hmm. the intimacy, even though it's less frequent, it's better and it's richer because it's authentic and it's true. And it's no longer about the titillation. Now it's about the deep connection that we've forged. And it's yeah. like, what does that look like for somebody chasing Jesus or chasing faith, or people that have been burned by the church? Mm. To go, it isn't that the, the my experience of Jesus was off; it's that my the reflection of Jesus that they found in the church was off, and it will always be off. Mm-hmm. You know, when people join our church, I say you are joining a collection of sinners. You know that have been called saints, but we're working it out, and it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how can we as people keep our eyes on the the true thing? And then learn to find grace like Jesus did for when the church, when church people, when Christians get sideways on stuff. Because we will. So how do we how do we navigate that together?
1: Yeah. And how do we get naked again? I mean is, uh, like yes. That's, how do how do we find it in ourselves after being hurt and so vulnerable? Because for the most part, I think we do, especially as we're young and more naive, it is easier sometimes to show up vulnerably um because we haven't been hurt before and then once we get hurt it starts to get a lot harder to show up vulnerably and show up in in authenticity and i think this generation especially being right and my wife's a high school teacher so i get to see like the younger people like that like they get so like they're attracted to but also like a little weirded out by authentic kind of things where somebody shares how they're really feeling and it it might like shut down a room because it's like it's attractive in the sense that it pulls people in and they might be like oh i want to post a meme about it like yeah uh but and it's not their fault so i don't want to make it seem like i'm dumping on the generation like this is just what we've created this is the world we've created Uh, abstraction a world of abstraction Mm -hmm. where who you are online isn't who you are in person and all these things happen like there's a disconnect there and so getting back to being able to get vulnerable and real and share what's really in there and and you talked about these beautiful pictures of couples who have able to navigate that because you know you talk about the consumptive idea at some point it's like Oh yeah, I'm gonna have all my needs met and it's gonna be perfect and it's gonna be this. But if you just look at a body, there are imperfections and there are. And you know our our standard of beauty, of course, as a society is like, 20, like, it, like yes. so young. And so whatever for men and women, it's like, this is what beauty looks like. But then real beauty is as you age, you see the imperfections and the weirdness and the cracks and the crevices and, and all of the things that I was reading, um, Eugene Peterson and what, who, who's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking about how somebody made art of everyday household objects just by zooming in on a fork, Mm. zooming in, and he's like, the most beautiful thing was the Brillo pad. That's the thing you stuff under the sink. And when you zoom in on something, you see its beauty. And that is so much of what we're talking about because abstraction is zooming out, and zooming in on something is when you start to see the beauty of the neighbor with the cat fungus and then there's little milo the cat and you're like i love milo the cat he's weird and he bites me but like i've (laughs) developed an affection for this weird little guy because i can see him up close and i see the beauty in that
0: because you know him yeah because you know him and and we only have relationship with with God through the knowledge, the knowing, not the head knowledge, the knowing of Jesus and the the being known by Jesus, Mm. knew us in our darkest place and then called us in anyway. Yeah. And the idea that we're going to achieve that with others in some other way is just bananas. Mm. I'm not going to be able to love someone well unless I know them and not I know what they posted on Facebook. I know them because it's never the same thing. And, and so our whole society is a risk-averse society. And so when you're talking about why, do, you know, young people are more vulnerable, they got less to lose. But if you're 35 and married and you got two kids and you have to admit your porn habit, it's different than when you're 19 and everybody around you's got one too. When you're 35, you're like, this could cost me. Yeah, I'll just stay in the club. i just be a little less authentic. I'll just, and, and that becomes our, our thing. And so once you build up enough of those bricks of falsehood, mm. then- vulnerability, it doesn't exist anymore because it can't exist anymore because I got too much to lose. And it's only when we get small enough to realize we've lost it all anyway. When, you know, Eugene Peterson, you bring him up, what is, he says, all of life is learning how to die. Mm. That's one of my favorite quotes of mine. All of life is learning how to die because we are to die to self and become alive in Christ. And so only as I die and I realize I have nothing to lose because I have nothing other than Christ, only in that space do I find true freedom to live out life, to actually live the embodied life of grace and beauty and love. And, and, and so when we're building self, we're always gaining more to lose. When mm. we're dying to self, we're always offloading those things. And so now risk and vulnerability don't exist in a, in a, in a terrifying way. They exist in a beautiful way because I can risk it all because I'm secure. Mm. I can be vulnerable because I got nothing left to lose. Wow. Wow. I can't lose what I've got because I don't have anything left but Jesus. Yeah, and so people at the end of their rope are incredible people, right? Right. You've, you've, right those are the best people when they're like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm at the. I'm totally authentic and vulnerable." People that are on their deathbed are beautifully generous and vulnerable people. They got nothing left to lose. Yeah, and we've cobbled together these lives we're so terrified of letting go of, and all of life is learning how to die. Mm.
1: Golly, that's a good point. Because once you get to the place of that, like, it, it reminds me of Office Space, right, And that movie that we've talked about before, where it's just like, once Peter Man is not worried about losing that job, they're like, hey, we want to promote you. And we want, yeah. because people are, there's something about the security that comes from
0: that. Oh, That's really cool. And that's why a marriage of 50 years is so beautiful. Even though they can fight like cats and dogs and they can get after each other, there's a security there. Because each is now fully themselves. Because mm. guess what, man? We're we're in this. I've accepted you fully, and you've accepted me fully, and you can't go out anywhere. You're you're not getting out of here. Yeah. And and all of a sudden, there's a beauty in that honesty that comes in. In I've got nothing left to lose. We're just we're this is a commitment. We're in.
1: Yeah. Oh man, that's so good. And also, why it's so tragic, and I think so painful when people are accepted for the mask that they put on. And not for who they are. And so when I think of marriages and working with a lot of marriages is a lot of times people come to a point and it's husbands and wives. They come to a point where the person has fallen in love with who they have presented themselves to be. And at some point, the real self has to come out. It just has to. And when that comes out, there's almost a pain of you don't really love me. Yeah. And even though you're the, you're the person that was putting forward this false self, even though you were that person, there's a hurt of, well, you can never really love the real me and who that it's, is.
0: It's wow. tragic. The best job interview uh, advice I ever got was get fired in the interview. Mm. It said, be so yourself that they'll choose not to hire you in the interview, as opposed to people always go, what do you think they want to hear? What are they looking for? How do I, how do I tailor myself to this job? Yeah. And the same is true. So you can, you can present yourself as exactly who they need. And then when right. your true self shows up, they go, well, this isn't working out for us. I wonder why. Right. And the same is true in, in premarital counseling. I go, you guys have to break up now, mm. get to the end of this thing. Why would we break up? We're going to break up because actually, if you really knew this about me, you'd reject me. And if we can get all that stuff out, then we're in the best space ever because you're choosing each other for the fullness of who you are, warts included, yeah. as opposed to trying to be perfect, to win your heart so that when we get two years down the road, when we hit tragedy, when I get bored, um, you're going to see the real me and then we'll split. And it's like, I just goes just break up now, yeah. get it all out. And if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And if you can get through now when you're full vulnerability and total honesty, well, then I'm not worried about 10 years from now. We'll get through that. Right. But get fired in the interview.
1: Oh, that's so good because there's magic to just kind of being like, yeah, man, this is who I am and this is what – or coming to the end of your rope like you talked about. There's no couple that will make more progress in their marriage than the couple that goes, it's this or it's over. That Like we we got nothing else to give. We got nothing. There's no hiding. There's no anything. And all of a sudden, there's this freedom and this magic that comes of being at the end of your rope and – Part of your advice that's great about getting fired in the interview is starting at the end, right? Starting yeah. with nothing to protect, starting with yeah. this is who I am. And But here's the thing. That creates such security in people. I had a mm-hmm. boss who I could not disagree with more on so many different things, but he was always himself. And there's mm-hmm. a security in that of going, I know what you're going to do. I'm gonna, I'm going to argue with you about it. I'm going to disagree with you about it, but I know what you're going to do because I know it's the, I know what dad is coming home. Right. Mm -hmm. And one Mm -hmm. of the greatest gifts you can give to your children is being the same person every day so that they're not like, is okay, is mean dad coming home or is nice dad coming home? And you get these like crazy swings and that makes people feel very insecure. So there's, there's a ton of security in just being the
0: fullness of yourself and taking up that space.
1: But that's really hard for people to do.
0: It is. It's the chief source of our anxiety. I always talk about we live a disintegrated life. So integrity means I am who I am in every situation. Right. Yeah. When we're not, we live a disintegrated life. We lack integrity and that disintegrated life. What happens to things that are disintegrating? Mm. they are breaking down and so when yeah. we live that that two-piece I'm a little bit of this for you and a little this for you or I'm I'm one way with this kid and I'm one way when you know if I've had a couple drinks and we do this whole life and we live a disintegrated life and we wonder why life feels like it's disintegrating around us mm. and it's it's us yeah and and so how do you do like you say how do we get to a, an integrated whole and that maybe is full circle to like what does it mean to be hyper local Man, the same people that see me on Sunday morning, see me at the grocery store, see me at the bar, see me at the at the little league game. Yep. I can't be anybody than who I uh, other than who I am. I can't subdivide and compartmentalize myself for them. Mm. Uh, ben Thompson from uh, uh, Stratechery, he does the Stratechery blog and podcast. Yeah. The, they've they've championed this thing called the Touchgrass Movement, which was started as like a meme, almost sure. that tech people were, you know using as an insult against each other he goes i'm actually embracing it and he his job is digital life and and tech blogging and podcasting and he says he has a weekly and he lives in taiwan He has a weekly cigar club with people in taiwan with expats and he calls it touching grass and everybody he says needs to have this thing because without it you're a disembodied you know digital soul Mm. and it's not right Mm. he he doesn't know jesus yeah but but there's some overarching universal truth that's been embedded in us you know this ecclesiastical you know hidden in our hearts kind of thing he knows you got to touch grass and once you do and people know you and and they love you anyway despite your flaws that's the love we're all aiming for is that god love where they i know your deepest flaws and i love you anyway that's what we're aiming for so how do we touch grass well you can't touch grass ten thousand miles away you got to do it together locally hyper locally Mm. and then you begin to Almost accidentally cobbled together that integrated life because you have no other choice.
1: Ooh,
0: ooh, that'll preach. Uh, Mm. That'll preach right there.
1: Because when I think of what digital has done, I don't think it's done. I don't think it's brought a lot that's new. I think it's hastened our disintegration because Mm. it's allowed us to disembody at the click of our phone. And the disembodiment used to be a more—I shouldn't say used to be. The, the way that we disembodied before was different. So like the way the housewives of the 50s were using Mother's Little Helper and like drugs and alcohol. And like, that's why you watch Mad Men and they drink at work. Like, you're, yeah. like they're not scrolling social media. and People are like, let's go back to the good old days. And it's like, well, we just have different kinds of disintegration. Right. We just have di- and you know, I, I joke with young couples all the time. Well, it's like your grandpa used to just go to the shop when he got home and drink a couple of whiskeys and woodwork and then, like that's how they disintegrated, right? That's how they disembodied. Right. And digital has just hastened it, so that we, we're born disembodied. We just walk yeah. into this disembodied culture where we're we're completely disconnected from our integrative and integrity, mm. the integrity of
0: ourselves. It's friction, right? Yeah. All of inter- all of the internet life is 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 trying to get rid of friction. Mm. How do I how do I reduce friction between me and buying the thing or my attention? Instagram has an endless feed. Why? Yeah. Because it reduces friction in keeping me on the platform so they can sell my attention. So that's fine. That's, mm. that's a prerogative. They can do it all day. The the Jesus life, if if we believe the Bible, says iron sharpens iron. So it means friction is good for us. Yeah. That, that community is good for us. That people are good for us. And so how do we reintroduce friction into our life in a world that is increasingly trying to reduce friction because we're consumptive? Ooh. Um, and so... How, what does that look like? And that looks like, again, that that doesn't – you cannot do it over a Zoom um, friend group occasional meeting. That's great. It's a good check-in. But there's no real friction there. Mm. And real friction comes in real relationship with real people on a regular basis. And short of that, we're buying into a frictionless existence. And if we believe what the Bible says, the frictionless existence cannot lead to our flourishing. It actually leads to our degradation, or our disintegration. Yeah. And so I'm all about – How do we introduce more friction into your life? And people go, that doesn't sound like fun. And you go, well, it's for your flourishing. It's for your good. It's your dad giving you chores on Saturday morning to create a work ethic in you so when you're in your 30s, you can hang in there. And it doesn't feel good in the moment, but friction is beautiful if we can adopt it.
1: Ooh, that's so good because every interaction Jesus had created tension with the person mm. he's interacting with. Like, and he offers a ton of grace, which is tension for a lot of people, but yeah. he creates all sorts of friction. And oh my gosh, I you, like what is comfort, but dis, like, uh, <laughs> trying to move as far away from suffering as possible. Right? Like yeah. that's what comfort is like distancing ourselves from suffering. And that is not the world. That is not how anything works
0: that's your mission trip i want to get out of my comfort zone when in fact what i'm running from is the friction of having to deal with my neighbor mm. over this dispute on our fence line you know and the real the real area the real discomfort is actually right in front of us all the time yeah. and we want to get as far from that as possible
1: yeah and make ourselves feel better with a couple photos with um, which some people are doing good missions, so we're not we're not throwing the idea of missions out completely. I'm not mad at missions. Oh my gosh, Kyle! I could talk to you forever, but we've come to kind of the end of the podcast, which is the non judgment zone of joy, where yes. I ask you what is bringing you joy, and I get to sing our little theme song. And so, what kind of music have you been listening to lately?
0: I mean, that's not a good question. I listen yeah. to the most strange, bizarre, um, you know, wordless ambient. Music to write to. Okay. Um. I, I play occasionally. I find the non-explicit version of uh of of '90s anything for my kids. So we were uh, yesterday. We were listening to, uh, uh changes. Tupac changes. Uh, through the wire. I was. I said something. I said boost for breakfast yeah. tomorrow. And my kid's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And so I'm playing through the wire by Kanye, and she's like, is his jaw really wired? So, so that's who knows is the answer to your question um yeah. what brings me joy is different than with the music i'm listening to but i don't know what you want what are you looking for here
1: yeah that's awesome that's perfect through the wire is perfect i'm gonna use that as <laughs> okay. uh, uh but i'll just use i'll probably just use the hook we'll see if i rap and just use okay. the theme song for the non-judgment zone of joy because it's got that like lo-fi sampling like yeah, that it was-, was like and it's like <laughs> the non-judgment non-judgment zone of joy it's time to talk to kyle About what brings him joy, the non judgment zone of joy. We go, yeah, I won't start rapping.
0: That's good. That's that's impressive.
1: I just wanted to cap it right there.
0: That's good. I did not see that coming.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, Kyle, what is bringing you joy
0: right now? All right. Have you ever heard of forest bathing? No. Okay. People get a little weirded out when I start talking about this. Um, we bought a house. The reason we bought our house, to where we bought our house in this little town, is it's near uh, an, what's called an old growth forest. So it's like 150, 200 year old trees, hasn't been touched. It's got a couple paths through it. That's it. And so I love going into our old growth forest. It's called Winter Garden. It's perfect in the in the in the winter. You can go and if you're the first one in after a good snow, there's no tracks, there's no nothing. It's just you and nature and animals in these like 90 foot tall maple trees. It's beautiful. Mm. Um, so forest bathing is something I, I do and people are like, so that's super weird. It's actually a Japanese idea. Um, and the Japanese are pretty urban people these days, right? And the idea is if a Japanese person can get into the woods, can get into um, some sort of natural environment, it can kind of cleanse, um, the, the hectic urban life out of them. And then science has come back around and said, yeah, actually, um, literally just being under a canopy of trees for 20 minutes creates all these happy chemicals in your mm. life it, cre- it it introduces you to these micro this and this subatomic that and your biome whatever and it's all these things i could care less about that yeah. i find such joy in being in the woods and so um what brings me joy is forest bathing so i will come home look stressed and my wife will go you need a forest bath mm. and i put my tennis shoes on and I walk the third of a mile into the woods. And then I take the loop for a couple miles. I, I spend my time in the shadows and the, the darkness and the breeze. And I come out and I go, I feel better. Mm. And so my non-judgment joy uh, zone of joy is I like to take a good forest bath every now and then. And If I get a couple in a week, I'm having a good week.
1: Oh, a good forest bath sounds great. I immediately mm-hmm. imagined you as the taylor swift album cover for i think it's folklore i can't remember if it's folklore or evermore where she's standing in the trees but it's kyle's version right um yeah i love forest bathing i love that idea and there is something about nature that is healing There, like i don't like to your point science can say whatever they want to say i know how i feel when i'm in the middle of nowhere and i just go and take a deep breath and go wow that feels really and yeah. there's
0: something healing about it. There's healing properties for sure. That's my deal. Japanese is Shinrin Yoku. Shinrin Yoku. But it's forest bath. And anybody who comes to visit me, I move 1,400 miles from San Antonio where it is blisteringly hot all the time into this just crazy climate where it can be negative 10 one day. And then in the summer, we'll get up hot and humid too. And so the forest has seasons and it has change, And it all, it's that reminder to me that like mm. this is a temporary thing. Whatever you're doing right now, what you're going through, it's temporary and nature tends to remind us what's true. Mm. And and the forest tells me that this season is temporary, this emotion is temporary, this trial is temporary, and come back in a couple of weeks, and the, the leaves are going to be fiery red, and come back a few weeks after that, and it's blanketed with snow. Yeah. And, and so the beauty of the forest bath is I think God speaks to us through nature. I mean, Bible's pretty clear about that. Mm. But if we're actually listening, it's not the audible voice, it's how small am I? This tree's been here mm. for 10 times longer than i've been alive yeah and it's just doing its thing okay i'm tiny take your forest bath reorient your life in the world you're a tiny speck of creation and it's beautiful and that's me through the wire
1: oh that's so good and I that's just the way it is <laughs> uh seasons i love it kyle thank you so much for joining us man this was fantastic um i'll make sure i get any links that you want you're getting smaller so you might not have any links that you want people to follow but
0: delete all the social media yeah
1: love it i'll I'll, (laughs) also i'll put anything that you want maybe one for your church in there but thank you for joining we got to do this again
0: thanks john this is a joy
1: yeah lovely man see you man thank you for listening to me and kyle chat it up oh man he's such a good dude I love talking to him, whether we recorded or not. And I'm thankful what he talked about friction and kind of the anxiety of the modern age. And man, he dropped some knowledge and some wisdom. Um, it's a gift truly to be able to sit down with people like Kyle. And even honestly, even just in the conversation, he embodied a lot of what he talked about. It didn't feel like a nervous or anxious conversation. It really felt like a time to reflect and grow and I just appreciate that. And I know he creates that for other people and I'm thankful. Um, His sub stack is KyleJBurkholder.substack.com. That's KyleJBurkholder.substack.com. I'll put a link on our show notes so that you can be over there and read his great writing um, because he writes just as well as he communicates verbally and what he's doing. You can always check us out at our Substack BeyondSunday.substack.com, or you can subscribe to our Facebook group Better on the Inside. Just search that on Facebook, and you should be able to find us. Hey, thank you everybody for listening. This uh, this podcast thing is really cool. I don't know. I just love that I get to do this and that people listen. Um, because I'd do it if you didn't listen, but man, it is so much better because you do. So I sincerely appreciate you. Subscribe, share episodes, but most importantly, just keep listening. I really dig it. Hope you do too. Love you guys.
0: Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. You can continue the conversation by subscribing to our Substack, Beyond Sunday at Substack.com.